Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. This is the Science of Melanology presented by Dr. Jewel Pukla and Dr. T. Owen Small. All recorded and printed materials are copyrighted by the Jewel Publications, Inc., a subsidiary of the House of Jewels. Any unauthorized duplication of these materials is strictly prohibited. Our commitment is to connect with those who want to discover and learn the science of life and the science of living. For additional books, MP3, Mayan calendars, immortal chat CDs, registration for the balancing program, and the advanced balancing workshop, please visit our website, thejewelnetwork.com, or call 602-559-1842. That's thejewelnetwork.com, or call 602-559-1842. Thank you. Greetings. How are you out there? As usual, this is the Melanology Show, and I'm your host, Dr. Jewel, and our fabulous new co-host, Dr. T. Owens Moore, are here to welcome you to the Melanology Show, hosted on the Jewel Network, justifiably enchanted with enlightened living. And this is a maiden voyage for us because I am so happy now, this is what, about our 10th Melanology show. And I talked about this for the last month that we were definitely going to bring more experts on to really help you understand not only how incredible the pigment melanin is, but also too how it affects all areas of our life, the brain, our tissues, everything. And what would be more appropriate than to actually have a real neurophysiologist, a neurochemist, well known for his research throughout the world to accompany this discussion to enlighten you about the master pigment of light known as melanin. So without any further ado, I am welcoming you, our fabulous planet Earth, to Dr. T. Owens Moore. How are you and welcome? I'm doing quite well. Thank you for the invitation and blessings to your beautiful audience. Well, you know, wonderful. We're going to kind of break away this one time from being so structured and scientific because I want you to get comfortable with our new co-host here. And so I'm going to let him share a little bit about his motivations, what motivated him to move into science and the neurosciences to really begin to undertake studying that fabulous polymer known as melanin, and just a little bit about himself. So let's just start from the basic question. What prompted you to even decide to become a scientist? You're a well-known athlete. He's a fabulous tennis player. I'm not into chasing balls, but he does a great job at that. So just tell us how, you know, you had so many opportunities to be so many different things. What took you to, quote, your head, unquote? Right. Well, uh, thank you for that question. To introduce myself to the audience, uh, I guess you could say I'm a scientist that enjoys uh, investigating issues from different perspectives. So you said neurophysiology, but actually I'm a neuroscientist by training. And neuroscientists would encompass many areas of psychology and behavior and put them all together. A person could be a computer scientist and be a neuroscientist. They could be a mathematician and be a neuroscientist. They could also be a chemist and be a neuroscientist. So my area is actually physiological psychology. So I break down the brain. I study the different components of the brain, the chemicals, the synapses, those biological elements that produce the behavior that we exhibit every day. So for me, as a, an undergraduate school, I had always, you know, wanted to know well, how does the brain actually operate, how do these chemicals make us 
react in certain ways. Well, once I left undergraduate school, I actually entered a uh, graduate program at Howard University, and I had a chance to take medical school classes while I was going through my graduate degree. And while I was at Howard University studying to be a physiological psychologist, I came across this topic dealing with melanin, and the topic in the discussion seemed to be convoluted, and it didn't seem to be clear. Or some people were making comments about melanin helps you, I guess, maybe build civilizations or it helps you uh, develop your culture. And it just took it away from the scientific aspect of this very complex biopolymer, as you mentioned earlier. So as I began to look at this topic of melanin, it became fascinating because it was not a waste product that many of the science books had considered to be. It was actually an element that was very key and critical for all life. So as I was going to graduate school, I compiled all the data and articles, and my area of research is actually dealing with neuropeptides and neurohormones, and I've used an animal model to investigate how those chemicals control behavior. So I've had the basic background in this. So for me now to take it to another level of consciousness, dealing with our information of history and people, melanin just kept popping up. Well, I wrote a book in 1995 called The Science of Melanin. Dispelling the Myths that was first put out by uh, Beckham House Publishers out of Silver Spring, Maryland. I ended up revising that in 2004 and called it The Science of Melanin, the second edition, where I just went into the issue of origins where everything develops from blackness, uh, focused on where this issue of melanin is in the brain, where it is in the body, uh, why it's in those certain areas in the brain and the body. And uh, I got a little bit into the mere materials material spiritual connection also talking about melanin not just being here in our body and our skin but it's also extraterrestrial i mean when people talk about whoa, dark whoa, matter whoa, the whoa. whoa dr t now you're just taking us a little fast here and as scientists now i think that we need to break that down now can you give us your definition of spiritual first of all we got to get on that level with both feet everybody so you're saying spiritual means what to you well, I believe Ayana Van Zandt has made comments about us being spiritual beings, having a human experience. So spirit is everywhere. Spirit is like an energy source that okay. combines to turn us into this human element that we're in. Okay. So when we deal with spirit, we're dealing with an element that is existing everywhere throughout the universe. So okay. when we look up in the sky, it looks bright during the daytime, then it's dark at nighttime. But when you look at the universe as a whole, 95% of the universe is made up of something called dark matter. Well, what is that? Dark matter is what binds and keeps the universe together. Well, would you so say if that? We are, if we are a microcosm. Would you say that's light folded in on itself, that that's what dark matter is, that's what this concept of spirituality is actually uh, trying to describe it. It's describing an ever-existing infinite light force that basically has a huge variation of presentation, but is forever present, and most of all, anything in it is viable. Okay. If light turned on to itself, I probably could probably have a whole other discussion on this dark matter itself. Exactly. You know, to go a little bit in depth in that, so I wouldn't be able to just say right now, and I would say it was just something folded on to itself. But yes, everything is like. Okay, well, saying, so we're saying spirituality is akin to what appears to be uh, light in all of its known and unknown formation. Is that right? Yes, yes. Okay, well, great. So, okay. so we then, as human beings, are just spirit manifested on this level into a, a, a form that you can see, because there's different levels of spirit, there's different okay. levels of the soul. Considering that, we're talking about elements manifesting into certain, uh, we say, condensed forms. They think about crystals. Crystals are very key and critical to guiding light. 
Well, yeah, use to help our well, would you say it is literally solidified light? Yes, that's what I mean by different forms. Yes. Exactly, solidified so light, a crystal. Well, let's go yes. back to the soul here because now, see, you pushed me into being a daytime scientist. I'm asking for a precise definition. <laughs> so, what is, so what is your perception of a soul, Dr. T? My perception of a soul. Yeah, because, see, we, we're building a vocabulary here because, I, you know, I've initiated certain vocabulary words and discussing with melanin, and now you've brought these new words to us, and as we continuously now are going to grow and talk about melanin from all of these different perspectives, because you're a specialist in that, we just need to have our basic vocabulary defined for us so that when you say these things on all the other shows that we hope that you're going to do and we envision that you will for a very long period of time, we'll already know where okay. you're coming from. Well, we'll bounce back to the melanin piece then after we go with this little soul, brother yeah. soul sister talk then. <laughs> okay. Because if you, if you ever heard of the term Saku, S-A-K-H-U, Saku, that is a term that Gerald Massey from ancient Israelite of the world found that meant she, the illuminator, the all-seeing eye. Uh, it dealt with an inner essence. Well, Naim Akbar, Akbar in his book, uh, Ancient Egypt, Light of the World, uh, I mean, think light of Egypt. He's trying to bring back what it is that these ancient historians were looking at. And he breaks down the soul into seven divisions. So it's not like there's one simple way of saying what the soul is. It's different aspects of the spiritual nature of a person. Because you can look at a person, you can see they have a negative soul. There's something negative about them. Or there's something okay. positive about that person's soul. So, well, Dr. T, inculcating the definitions that you've just been sharing with us, then are you saying then that a person's soul literally is a quantification and a reflection of the amount and the quality and the frequency of light that they are emanating? That would be a good definition for our audience. Okay, but great. When you, but when you think about the issue uh, with soul and the word saku, okay, saku is ancient Africa. Well, the Greeks saw that and didn't really understand soul, so they called it psyche. Okay. That's why psychology then comes into play. So for right. the Europeans and the Greeks studying, the soul was a little bit challenging for them to incorporate in their words, so they used psyche. But that's just dealing with the mind. Okay. So the soul is a little bit more harder to define unless you can experience it. Guess what? It may be very difficult to define. So as you are and we are discussing this with the dual network, we'll come to a better manifestation of seeing how the soul is the reality. Okay. And now for you, if you can just, again, since you're going to be our co-master teacher here for a while, when you say mind, what are you saying to us? What's your definition of mind? So as you use that term, we can be all on the same plane. Okay. Well, if you want to think about the emanation of what comes out of a person's thoughts, consciousness. The first thought and consciousness that was ever even emitted in the world is still out there circulating. Dr. John Clark talked about when the first person ever sneezed, that sneeze is still echoing, reverberating throughout the consciousness of the world. That, that's right. So, There's a memory bank around this planet and in the galaxy. We call it, uh, on planet Earth, we call it, depends on your cosmology, the side bank, okay, from the Native American tradition, PSI, the side bank. Yeah. So so okay. many people in the past have tried to look at is the mind and soul, is the mind and body, all these different elements. Mm -hmm. You know, the European books popularized Rene Descartes back in the 1600s as the person who came up with this thing about the seat of the soul being in a certain place of the brain mm -hmm. called the pineal gland is only one organ versus being bilaterally symmetrical like many other brain areas. There's only one pineal gland that sits mm -hmm. there in the brain. Mm -hmm. 
So Descartes talked about that being the seat of the soul. Well, where did he get that from? Mm-hmm. Where does this third eye discussion come from? It all comes from our ancient African principles of how people tuned into themselves to gain insight on what the mind and the soul were. So we can have in our melanology our discussions in the future, detailed discussions on the mind and the soul. Oh, no question. We have to. Well, I think this is a very important concept to bring out. Again, we have to remind all of humanity that all of humanity was born and originated from the cradle of civilization, which at this moment still is located in its most original place on the planet. Most of that area is, and it now has been labeled as Africa. It has had many other names, etc., but the key is all of humanity originated from Africa. So I bring that out because I want our listeners worldwide to understand that when we're talking about African cosmology and axiology, we're talking about where all of humanity originated from. You know, one of the things that I am definitely uh, very clear about that has to be digested is that all humans are melanin-dependent. All humans are melanin-dependent. And now we have Dr. T with us who is going to make sure that, as you understand better, the neuropsychology and the neurophysiology, the neurobiology of melanin, you will see that it is important for every human being to understand clearly how this polymer is interacting in all of their tissues, their states of consciousness, their soul, now that we understand that, through their mind, now that we understand that, and with all other life forms on the planet. I'm Dr. Jewel, and my co-host is Dr. T. Owens Moore, Dr. Tim, and this is the Melanology Show, being brought to you by the fabulous Jewel Network, justifiably enchanted with enlightened living. So, Dr. T., please go on and just, uh, you know, tell us more because, again, now, I still want to know there's a little dot that wasn't connected because, again, you're an avid athlete, okay? And I know that there's a direct connection somewhere between this interest that you have in the neurosciences and especially when you discover this unique and, you know, um, how could I want to say it? Because I want to say that it's a, a plethora, really. You know, it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. It's a ubiquitous right. pigment that is everywhere. And even though most people cannot identify it, even though they see it wherever they see color, and here you are, an athlete, you you know, track, runner, tennis, the whole thing. What connected the dot to move you into an area that requires you to keep your body still? That for you to basically do the research that you've done with rats on, you know, neural, uh, biological systems, et cetera, and to pay attention and focus when you are used to having a body that's in motion, muscles flexing, you know, all these hormones moving. How did you connect the dots where it was very important for you to basically put that in its place so that you can gain a greater understanding of even how these muscles are working and how that interacts in the field of athletics? Right. It's definitely a state of development because certainly we don't come out of the womb knowing having access to everything, but naturally we do because everyone comes up with the same brain. It's a matter of how we feed that brain, right. how we feed our energy. And that's what has taken me to this topic of melanin is dealing with energy. Everything that we, did, we see in the universe is filled with energy and vibration. And melanin as a complex biopolymer is a substance that absorbs energy. Blackness absorbs heat. White reflects. 
So it makes sense that something that's dark in color is able to absorb the energy that's in the system, in the world, in the universe, and that may then lead to the topics of spiritualism and soul, because spiritualism and soul are nothing but forms of energy that we can't really see with our, our physical eyes, but we can experience it with our third eye. So for the issue of energy and exercise, People really don't need to be taking the psychopharmacological elements to make them feel good because you've heard all the problems that people have talked about with antidepressant medications where they really have not helped or it takes like six to seven weeks for those medications to have an impact on a person's mental state. But guess what? There's a lot of information now about exercise, diet, diet and exercise. But guess what? That doesn't draw a lot of money. So the medical pharmaceutical industrial complex is not going to push exercise and diet because they're not going to make money. But that's the key to getting focused and balanced mental state. So for me, yes, I enjoy exercise and I try to eat right, and that's why my students still think I'm the same age as them. <laughs> well, this is going to be so exciting down in those concepts because, again, we started out on the same foot. We're standing together. Mm-hmm. Everything is life. Everything Absolutely. is life. Okay, okay. So remember that, Dr. D. So now, <clears throat> well, let's move on because I think it's very important to understand that since all life, all life originated from near the equator. Obviously, to be able to stay near the equator requires uh, everyone to be able to handle heat, handle an intense exposure to the electromagnetic frequency emanated from the sun. It's very clear, and that's also been proven anthropologically, that all beings were of a melanated color. Everybody had melanin so that everybody could basically tolerate and thrive in that environment. So there's been a lot of um, explanations offered as to how individuals wound up today, for example, as we see with very little melanin activity, measurable amounts, adequate amounts, and then extreme amounts, which actually then move from literally having white skin to peachy, olive color skin to caramel, caramel brown, and then brown to navy blue black. However, what we have discovered is that everyone, whether they are white as snow or whether they are navy blue black, all have the same amount of melanocytes, but that it's a unique activity that's going on in relationship to the brain and hormone systems and glands of the body that determine whether these melanocytes can become active and how active they can become. So what we are looking forward to, Dr. T, is that you as a neurophysiologist can begin to give us correlation as to the propensity of the amount of melanin that an individual can make now that we understand that all humans can make as much melanin as they desire, even though individuals... I pardon? May I interject? Oh, yeah, you must. Because I like the way you simply laid it out for the audience where you spoke about the outside environment affecting the person's outside of the body. And that's where the challenge is for people to really then try to understand, well, what does that have to do with the inside of the body? Right. Because you know you know your outside of the body changes because of the external environment. The more sun, the darker the person may be. Not enough sun, the lighter the person is going to be. So you can see that. So I appreciate you walking the audience and us through that discussion. But where it becomes more difficult to interpret is what's happening inside. Because inside, you have darkness inside the brain. Right. And those dark areas in the brain, which are not receiving sunlight, are, guess what, dark for a reason. 
So that key of why on the outside people have melanocytes, which is the name of the actual cell that produces the melanin in the person's skin, well, you have different kinds of terms for the melanin that exists inside of the body. Right. Now, if we break this thing, this topic down and look at the internal changes, that's when we start to see issues pertaining to people's behavior and their their, their mindset. Exactly. But let me go back about. because, now see, this is very important, and this is why I love this. Now, look at this, Doc. You said something very, very important because, again, everybody's so busy looking at what appears to be the first layer of light reflected to them, which is what we call the superficial or the the most outer surface of something. But now you've already moved to a second layer of reality and a second layer of observation is that, okay, look at the inside of the body. Everybody, again, has melanin on the inside of the body, blackness. I think it's so intriguing. And when we then look over at the innuendos and the outright erroneous statements that people are making about being a particular race based on just one layer of reality, the amount of pigment that's present in the skin, they are very much creating a tremendous amount of trauma in the body when they do that. Now, yeah. we can talk about that, and we're going to do a whole show about the psychoneuroimmunologic aspect of how a person thinks and how they then turn on and off cellular function as well as turn on and off genes because of the, quote, attitude that they have taken. And I think that it's very important for people to understand that as white as a sheet as you may be on the outside, these foci that is focused at particular locations of where melanin is mandatory to be healthy and active on the inside of your body and Dr. T is going to take us through each one of these particular areas, not only in the brain, but also in other areas of the body, that when you take an attitude, make a judgment about a color relative to a particular attitude or state of consciousness, you then also will either heighten or deactivate that substance, that pigment, that is consciousness throughout your entire system. So before you go any further, let's deal with this gene okay. triggering, this gene okay. uh, turning yeah. on and off because right. tyrosine amino acid, okay? Correct. We get amino acids from our diet, like glutamate, like tryptophan. We get those in our diet to build the chemicals that our body needs. Well, there's certain enzymes that are needed to make the dark pigmentation in people's skin and also right. inside their brain. Uh, outside the body, you have a, a enzyme called tyrosine, tyrosinase. Tyrosinase helps to break down tyrosine to move to the melanin that's in our skin. Right. Tyrosine hydroxylase is another enzyme that breaks down the same amino acid to make the darkness inside of our brain. Now, the key is, as you said about triggering genes, maybe something did happen in the past where people did have to biologically adapt, physiologically adapt to their environment. And guess what? With the thinking about whatever may have been going on, they could have triggered some mechanisms to shut down making melanin. No question. Oh, we know that. No question. A hundred percent, which is, if I can return back to point zero of the circle that we just walked, is that the attitude of an individual, especially toward a specific frequency of light, 
will determine whether that light will, that particular frequency, that particular wavelength will be accentuated or diminished in the aura and in the actual presence of the individual. Now, if you heard what I said, I'm saying to you that if there are important locations of melanin inside of the body that are required for a homeostatic, healthy, metabolic existence of your avatar, and you form an attitude does not imbue and allow that frequency of light to flow uninterrupted, you shut it down, not only on the skin, but in every area where that particular frequency of light would emanate. Now, if you heard what I'm saying, if people are coming out thinking that one particular frequency or color is superior, another one is inferior, and that also has physicality on the inside of the body, wherever those frequencies of light, those pigments are present, you have automatically, with your attitude, shut them down or you've over-exaggerated them. So is this then perhaps the psychological origin for retinitis pigmentosa? Is this the psychological origin for malignant melanoma? Is this the psychological origin for uh, the substantia degeneration of the brain? And it goes on and on and on and on. And, you know, because of your background in connecting the dots with physiological, biological phenomena and states of consciousness, we can now really begin to understand how these neurological debilitating disorders are occurring in individuals who may be melanin recessive or who may be melanin dominant. Yeah, you know, I've never really thought about the psychological component of someone having some of those melanated disorders, but we know full well that autoimmune diseases result because of that. So lupus to multiple sclerosis to disorders like that, which may not necessarily be melanin-focused, those result from disordered thinking that then impacts the body. Because well, we don't have I... an immune system, we have a defense mechanism system. So we can no well, longer fight against those elements that are destroying cells, yes, you're going to have a problem. Well, if we go back to the basis that you have substantiated with us earlier, that everything is light and right. that whether it's our soul, our state of thinking, etc., and we know that light has known and unknown frequencies of emanation, then we have to then go back to the origin of everything and re-examine it to find out why it's presenting in the way that it does. And you? Right, so I, I wouldn't disagree. I'm just saying I hadn't thought about putting the psychological point to those melanated disorders, but you're right. That's probably the, could be the etiology for those diseases also. We are here bringing to you the Neurology Show on the Jewel Network, and we just had a fabulous discussion, and we've established an understanding and a basic language and its definitions that we'll be using throughout the rest of our shows here regarding the soul, regarding the mind, uh, and melanin itself and light, and how with the scientific background that Dr. T has brought to us from all of his years of research study regarding the investigation of melanin, we are going to really uh, reveal some fabulous, fabulous occult information about what's really happening in these fabulous avatars that we call bodies. Now, I just want to go back to that concept again, that now 
we can look at how beautiful this is because I consider myself a nighttime scientist and Dr. T, he's an athlete, but he's also a very cerebral-minded person, and he says he's a daytime scientist and nighttime scientist, too. But I want you to understand how having access to the right and the left hemisphere of the brain in all things can produce an astounding product actually becomes immortal and can stand the test of time and the penetration and the questioning and the dissection of any mind field. Now, first, let us get clear because we've been definitely setting down our vocabulary here. When I say to you that I'm a daytime scientist or a nighttime scientist, be clear about what we're saying because when I use those terms from now on, everybody will understand what's going on. So, I'm just going to read you a little excerpt here from a wonderful scientist. I think he's great. This is a uh, dissertation known as The Divine Code of Life, and he is a master geneticist. This is Dr. Kazuo Murakami, okay? And this is a great book that he wrote. It's called The Divine Code of Life, Awakening Your Genes and Discovering Your Hidden Talent. So he gives kind of like an anthology here of how he got involved in finally becoming a geneticist. Uh, he's kind of like Dr. Uh, Tim with me, who really started out one way and got uh, focused on a particular attribute in science and, you know, took it to the hill to mastery. So he says here that I call this behind-the-scenes aspect night science as opposed to day science, which consists of lectures, examining objects under the microscope, or presenting research findings at various meetings. Day science is rational, objective, with a clear and orderly logic. Night science, on the other hand, derives important clues from intuition, inspiration, and unusual experiences. And the, in other words, from human faculties and events that are not usually associated with science. You might say that the day science is the tangible result of research, while night science is part of the process by which these results are realized. So the majority of great scientific discoveries and inventions actually begin with night science. This is the result of the combination of the right and the left hemisphere of the brain, the interaction between serotonin, melatonin activity, which are controlled by these special glands in the brain and the body. So, so allow me to go some daytime here. That was excellent uh, description because that really does define what you were trying to tell me about the difference between or the uh, contrasting between how we look at the science aspect of things. Since you're yeah. Uh-huh. So the dual so, network is like 20 <laughs> countries deep. Yeah. We can make this conversation inclusive to many yeah. people throughout the world. Yeah. Because when we talk about the issue of melanin and the places that's in the body and the brain, okay, two areas. One is called the locus ceruleus. Okay. One is called the substantia nigra. Right. Everybody has a locus ceruleus. Everybody has a substantia nigra. Guess what? Everybody has a red nucleus. Guess what? These are pigmented neurons that are deep, deep in the brain. Mm-hmm. If someone took an overripe banana and they sliced the banana in the middle and they saw those little dark splotches in the middle of the banana, that's how it looks inside your brain. Mm-hmm. Now, the darker those cells, then the more melanin in those cells. Everywhere where those dark cells are produced, there is a symbiotic relationship between a chemical that's being produced. For example, in the substantia nigra, you have a chemical called dopamine that's produced. 
in the locus ceruleus, you have a chemical called norepinephrine that's produced. So we're dealing with everybody has those neuroanatomical locations right. and then those neurochemicals produced, but there may be different levels sometimes of the neurons in those brain areas because of changes in the person or genetics, and there may be different chemicals in that person because of also genetics or changes over time. So inclusively, everybody throughout the world should be understanding that in the brain, they have the base units to be a functioning human, but change in our environment can affect how they even operate in this world. As well as, da-da-da, attitude. A for attitude comes first, and then environment comes second. So now, you know, Dr. Tim, so now check this out. I thought this was cute. So therefore, if day science represents left brain thinking, then night science represents right brain thinking. Therefore, we have found and documented that genetic thinking is stimulated by right brain activity. Can I stop you for a second? Yeah. I said I said earlier the word Saku, K-H-U, meant she, the illuminated, the all-seeing eye. There's a different level of spiritualism and soul coming from a woman than a man. Okay? So as you are expressing this on one side, I'm on the other side. Mm-hmm. We have been two different perspectives because of experience. But you, as a woman, have a womb that takes in and can give out. Mm-hmm. So you have a different perspective and a soul, spiritual way of analyzing these things that then lead to a genetic imprint that you have, that you see, that you feel, that you express. So I may not be able to express it in that same way, but it's important to understand that originally our ancestors honored the woman and her appreciation of how the world operates. Without you, we wouldn't know about cycles. You know, So you're definitely expressing something that's ancient, but you're just making it contemporary. Well, of course, but also, too, now we have to give credence to the avatar because guess what? The woman is responsible for being a nidus, a, a, a loci, to concentrate a magnetic field, okay? We know for a fact that the greatest electromagnetic uh, source of energy resides in the uterus. However, rarely is there an individual who is born without a uterus or a prostate. And we all know for a fact that the prostate is the uterus that has not been primed with estrogen. The estrogen receptors are underactive because the levels of estrogen in most males is hypo standard for a fully developed uterus in a male. However, the symbolism that I'm making here is that no one, whether they're male or female, comes here to this planet, activates an avatar without the capacity to know and be able to experience the essence of what right and left brain awareness and capability can provide and be able to act on it to the extent that the avatar will support that kind of functioning. So that is to say that, pardon? Yeah, that males, uh, well, yeah, because males can be as nurturing as females. Males can be as creative and spend a fabulous magnetic field of creativity and be able to express it as thoroughly when they submit to allowing all of the avatar to participate in their life's experience. 
So, see, this is what I'm, I'm, I'm drawing this picture, and this is what I'm going to drive home as the nighttime aspect of this relationship between us, Dr. T and I, is that this criticism and judgment immediately initiates dysfunction, whether it be an over-accentuation or a shutdown of capabilities that are present in our avatar to allow us to be totally whatever we put our mind to if we do not draw a conclusion and cut off the life force, the light force that is available to us. So, for example, when we have males that go around and say, oh, well, I can't change this diaper. You know, I don't touch that. Or, you know, we, we don't deal with any of this and we can't do that. And, you know, they so they put the, create this little teeny waffle square that they want to call a life. And then they wonder why they have so much disease in their body. They're so limited. It just goes on and on and on downhill when they have the capacity to be just as nurturing, just as creative, a woman who has this natural propensity to attract this and to sustain this magnetic vortex. And what have we seen? Women that basically cannot create and sustain anything because they're not receptive to this particular capability. Let me say this. You know that people who cut grass, they're called landscapers, right? So you know most men are landscapers. Well, here we are talking tonight. Let's be brainscapers. So <laughs> right? you're talking about the left and the right brain for our audience to know this and to have it for factual evidence and information. The left side of the brain is for the intellectual reasoning, mathematics, uh, linear type thinking. The right side of the brain is for the like, creative spatial learning uh uh, the emotional aspect of behavior. But what brings them together is the corpus callosum. What's interesting about women is that they have a larger corpus callosum which helps out with constant like left-right neural chit-chat. So that's why women may have more expressiveness in their words and language. And it starts very early where that happens. When you think about on the other end of life, developmentally spanning to the older age, older people who get stroke, women may be able to compensate better and have less damage from a stroke than a male because of the constant left-right neural chit-chat, larger corpus callosum, therefore they can survive much better. So as you're talking about, again, trying to get people to balance their behavior and their mindset, it has to do with, again, using both sides of your brain and elevating your consciousness. Wonderful. Exactly. And that's why, you know, there's nothing that we are uh, offering on the Jewel Network. None of the scientists that we are, uh, scientists that we discuss and emanate that we cannot, speak more intensely about the need for every individual to want to have a holosync or a balanced brain. We had to offer a simple program that would allow individuals just simply on an everyday basis to be able to grow, just as you said, that anatomical location in the brain known as the corpus callosum so that the equal amount and appropriate proportion of electromagnetic neurochemical information could move from the left and the right hemisphere of the brain. So, Dr. T, let's let's go back and talk a little bit about that more because, again, stated earlier that I'm going to drive home how making a decision about a natural attribute of ourselves and that decision being one that does not allow us to emanate the light to its greatest capacity immediately shut off that particular capability and interaction. And over time, if we create an innate deficiency of being able to absorb and to emanate light frequencies, 
we create the, the demise of our own avatar because even though we talk about nutrition from the standpoint of minerals and vitamins and amino acids, carbohydrates and fats, this is one important thing that I know that I've learned, I know that you have shared that, is that what is the nutrition needed as far as absorption and the capacity to digest and properly utilize all the known frequencies of light. Very, very well, I was going to say, before you went too far away from that word natural earlier, mm-hmm. you kind of did come back to it as you're talking about, again, the environment again. But okay. for the melanology hour, I would like for your audience to understand the natural aspect of this issue of melanin. When we talk about biological advantages, the first one is it's a neutralizer of toxic substances. It neutralizes free radicals. It neutralizes those chemical elements that destroy cells. That's a powerful effect as an antioxidant, a natural antioxidant. The second aspect is that it functions as a nerve conduction facilitator. Our students always mix that up. Nerve, okay, conduction, they say conductor, they really mix that one up. But nerve conduction facilitator, it makes the nerve impulses go faster. If you're talking about something that's black and absorbs, it can have semiconductive properties. Much of the technology we know today about semiconductive work deals with using elements that can lessen friction to make things go faster. If you know about rubbing your hands together real fast, it draws what? Heat. The third principle that I would like people to understand about the importance of the biological function of melanin is that it functions as an energy transformer. Everywhere you see it in the body, it helps to transform physical elements of light or energy outside the body for something in the body to recognize it. Okay, that's another complicated one the students also mix up. But energy transformer, for example, light comes in the form of photons. Photons must be converted into electrical energy for your eye, your body to recognize what you're seeing. You mentioned the disease earlier called retinitis pigmentosus. Well, retinitis pigmentosus comes from a problem with the retina, where it's like the film on the back of the eye. Well, it's like the film in a camera. You know, the image is put onto the film and you see that image. Well, if there's no pigment in that retina, the person pretty much feels like they're blind because it's nothing but reflection, just white reflection. Well, that melanin is in the eyeball to what help convert that light energy to something the body can recognize. So those three principles uh, or, or biological functions, I think, are key and critical. Neutralizer of toxic substances, number two, um, nerve conduction facilitator, and number three, uh, energy transformer are very important to understand. Well, thank you, Dr. Tim. That's uh, fabulous here because, as you know, as a nighttime scientist, I was over here drawing lots of dots. I was connecting okay. lots of dots here. So, you know, I'm again, I'm back with the neurochemistry of attitude. And I'm just sitting over here like, wow, do people understand? I, let me let's bring another component that I'm holding in my mind that I really need to share with the world here. Here in the United States, I don't know, and in the other countries here, if you happen to look at CNN, you'll be aware of what I'm talking about. They here in the United States, AC360, AC is abbreviation for Anderson Cooper, did a whole psychological profile on young children and their perception of skin color and race supremacy. They've been airing this every night. And so they drew these cute little images of girls and boys, and then they sat down and asked the children questions. So starting from the age of about four years old up into early parts of middle school, they asked very simple questions. The teacher would sit down or a technician would sit down with the child, and they'd lay these images on the table. And then they asked the child, which person do you think the teacher would like the best? 
and the child would look at all the different images. They had the same dress on. They had the same little ribbon in their hair. The only difference was that they had a different hue of melanin. And it was interesting because the children, as far as what they perceived was a likable or what would be called a more positive uh, interaction, always selected the melanin-recessive individuals. They either had a white hue, a very, very light brown hue. And when they asked the children, well, who do you think that the teacher might not like at all, they would point to the very, very dark image. Then they said, which child in here do you think would be the one that would be bad? And they would always point to the dark hue, and they said, well, which one do you think would really be a person that would be liked the most? And they would point to the hue, the lighter hue. So then they would interview the parents. And, of course, many of the parents were embarrassed by the selections and the statements that their children made. And some of the parents were like, you know, one lady admitted it. She says, I'm a teacher. She says, and for my child to basically be such a bigot, okay, I'm really trying to understand where he got that from. Okay, well, obviously the child was, what, only in the second grade or something like that. So it couldn't have been too many places that the child would have gotten this from. And it was very interesting to see that they basically exhibited about eight children in this little vignette. There were two children. One was probably in about the fourth grade, and then there was another child that was in middle school. I think that child was in, like, seventh grade. And it was interesting when one child was asked, well, which one of these uh, children would you want to be your friend? And so the child never pointed to any one of the images. And they asked him the question again. And he said, well you know, my friend would be somebody that I liked and it doesn't matter to me whether, you know, they're brown or yellow or white. If I like them, they can be my friend. So I can't say which one of these individuals I would pick because I really don't know any of them. And so we got a really clear understanding then that those individuals who had been given more depth in how they looked at their life experiences, et cetera, were not so prone to just make the total conclusive um, decisions just based on a skin color. They One little girl asked, um, which uh, person on this chart do you think the teacher would like the best? And the little girl looked, and they repeated the question to her, and she said, well, the teacher should be a teacher who would like all children. It wouldn't have anything to do with their skin color. They should. The teacher would like all children. So I thought that was very interesting because they asked other children that, and of course they were like, well, you know, the good, the the A student would be this one, and the D student, the failing one, would be this. And so they never were able to draw a precise conclusion at the time of this vignette. But it was very clear that the student that had been raised in an environment that honored an individual for the qualities that they presented, okay, that mm-hmm. honored an individual for how they were able to just interact with each other on a genuine basis, were not willing to just make any decision about whether someone was good or bad or whether the teacher would like them or not like them or whether they would be the ones that would fail or be the ones that would make straight A's because they were, in their very young age, we're able to already deduce that we just can't go by skin color. And when you think about the fact that, wow, we've got children this young in second, third grade, in fifth, sixth grade, that because they have been nurtured in an environment that allows them to see much deeper and to have a more sincere 
category of how to judge for themselves, to discern is the better word that I like, to discern for themselves what is more wholesome and comfortable for them, they those children could not be coerced in making such judgments like this. And they never brought this out, obviously, in the vignette, but it was a great observation for me to recognize that, again, the constant inbreeding of the visitatory nature that we are constantly experiencing in each generation is, again, a reflection of attitude, the unwillingness of parents, caretakers, guardians, educators to liberate their mind by imbuing more accurate information about the subjects that obviously in some way have frightened them, in some way have caused them to have an experience that they have not been able to reconcile and become masterful in bringing to a conclusion where they have no sensations or reactions to it because they learn from it. So we're going to talk about that uh, more in detail, but I just thought that was just incredible that as far as I was concerned, those two children exhibited how when they are nurtured and allowed to be able to have information, genuine factual information that they can use to delineate and to navigate an experience, they will not use superficial criteria in conclusion for an in-depth experience. Right. Well, we see where the mind comes into play and then how we have self-esteem issues in people's lives because of the issue of what they're perceiving. Exactly. So So they took it to... You know, a level that, wow, you know, we didn't recognize it, you know, still racism and white supremacy and this, that, and the other was, you know, still so prevalent. And I, as a physician, you know, and my definition of physician is a teacher of the systems and the orders of a healthy avatar. Looking at that as understanding what is it then that is really being asked of me to help individuals understand how they can continuously sustain and promote a healthy avatar, a healthy body from their perception of their life experiences. I'm just really, really clear again that if a person decides that black is superior or white is superior with just the discussion, Dr. Jim, that we've had today, they are going to have disease in their body. Why? Because those attitudes are automatically going to shut down tissue that contains pertinent pigment that we've described already as melanin, and it's going to inhibit them from being able to have tissue that is melanin-dependent to generate the amount of energy necessary to sustain normal function. Well, as we come to a conclusion, we spoke yeah. earlier about cutting grass being landscapers. We <laughs> talked about neuroanatomy earlier. We say we're brainscapers. Well, everything you talk about with the attitude issue now is we're being mindscapers. So next time we talk, we'll be mindscaping to try to change and alter these attitudes to correct the physical state of the body. Yeah, well, I, I, I know that, and you're going to help us really uh, understand that, how attitude is chemistry. It is chemistry in the tissues. Well, I'm excited, like I said, to be a part of this opportunity to reach the world, not just your neighborhood, but the world, to change the mind, change the way people think about their bodies and their their whole agenda in life. I mean, why are we here? Are we here to get a paycheck and a dollar? Are we here to live and love life and elevate as high as we can go? Certainly with an attitude of negativity, you will not be able to go as high as you can go. 
I'm just uh, honored to be uh, amongst your presence just to meet the beautiful audience. Boy, I have to tell you sometime when I have more time. I don't have enough time. But, yeah, Dr. Tim, when you wrote your book and you were so complimentary of my work, what year did you publish that book? 95, yours 93, is based on cosmic consciousness. Right. So, therefore, I have known Dr. Tim since 1993. Okay, okay. And so, it's like then that I know you, know you like I'm talking to all these people around the world today. We used to talk on the phone. He wrote such great things about me in his book and vice versa. His research has really helped me a lot to help people who've come to me to ask for information on how they could bring peace and health into their avatars, et cetera. And so after all those years of knowing you, it was only just in 2006, huh, that our avatars got a chance to see each other. The minds were yeah. always yeah. communicating, but the avatars, they had to, they were a little slow. And the minds thought travels at 24 billion miles a second, so in our minds, you know, there was no problem even knowing each other a long time. But the, for the bodies to catch up, like, I truly admit that I am of the turtle clan. <laughs> I'm a turtle when it comes to the body here, but you know, again, I've, I've never seen a jackrabbit live for 350 years. And when I did right. that research and recognized, oh, hey, if the turtle could be here 350 years, I'm with the turtle because I got a lot to do. I need to be here a long time. <laughs> well, I'd like to say openly the issue of respect is there on both ends, considering that we have not had extensive work together in terms of our. Uh, Legiality, our, our literature, but we've known one another through that capacity. But there are some people that can't work together, can't get along, and you know they have their own little perspective, and that's too bad for this orientation of thinking positive. So I just, I guess, give you honor and respect for being able to take knowledge to a level to include multiple people, not ostracize individuals. So as we then, you know, give our information and knowledge to the world. We're not in opposition. We don't agree on everything, but we're what trying to what elevate people. You say bring them in the light. Well, I like to darken folks. Darken the audience. But what do we know about darkness? See, darkness means that all the light is there. See, all the light is there, and it is actually enfolded on itself. So that's why you go into the darkness, you're totally being enlightened. Isn't that amazing? See, when you're in the in the light, what we think is light, like somebody shines a white light on you, you're only getting very few frequencies of light. There are many, many more frequencies of light that are available to you other than what is present that makes white light. But when you go into the darkness, like Dr. Tim is saying, when you go into the darkness, you get exposed to all of the light in darkened. And so when I first read that in one of your books, I was like, yeah, that's really true because you get all of the light, not just a few frequencies. You get all of it. So, again, as the nighttime scientist, I'm going to enlighten you. And as the daytime scientist, <laughs> Dr. Tim is going to enlighten you. <laughs> yes, yeah, you got it. That's it. So if you think about people that are tuning in in the pineal, pineal gland, the organs inside internally are in the darkness. As they are activated, it can help you to astral plane to places that you, wow, and you can never go. Right. So our ancients always studied that and did that. Now it's just a matter of us, as you said, Dr. Jewel, manifesting that today by understanding right. ancient technology. Exactly. But, but I just want to kind of tweak that little last sentence you made, Doctor. Mm-hmm. I want to say that it would allow you to be able to go to places that you haven't yet been trained to go. Okay. Okay. 
Okay, you can yeah. go, but you have to be trained to go. And we're losing too many lives on this planet because people are not being trained how to be their whole self. So all of us as light, or should I say melanin-dependent beings, I just want to say in behalf of melanin, in behalf of myself, and Dr. Tim, you want to say something real quick before we go? Uh, just peace and love to the community. Uh, check out MSN.com. they got a front page story on Sammy Sosa. It says how Sammy Sosa went back to black. <laughs> I love you all. Have a great, great weekend, and we'll be back next week. Bye-bye. This is the Science of Melanology presented by Dr. Jewel Pokra and Dr. T. Owen Small. All recorded and printed materials are copyrighted by the Jewel Publications, Inc., a subsidiary of the House of Jewels. Any unauthorized duplication of these materials is strictly prohibited. Our commitment is to connect with those who want to discover and learn the science of life and the science of living. For additional books, MP3, Mayan calendars, immortal chat CDs, registration for the balancing program, and the advanced balancing workshop, please visit our website, thejewelnetwork.com, or call 602-559-1842. That's thejewelnetwork.com, or call 602-559-1842. Thank you.